0: Today we've been looking at the story of Christmas, the story of the beginning of of, uh, Jesus' birth and entrance into this world through the book of Matthew, the gospel writer. We began with his genealogy where we talked about his family tree, his family history a little bit. Last week we talked about where Matthew records how Joseph was visited by an angel to explain to him what was going on with Mary and some of the courage that it took for Joseph to uh, do the right thing. And to do what God was calling him to do. And then uh, Matthew jumps right ahead uh, in time a little bit to the visit of the Magi from the east. So we're going to look at the uh, wise men that came uh, to worship uh, Jesus. Okay? So
1: let's hear the word from Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Thanks. Now after, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold wise men from east Came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he was saying his star, he saw his star when he rose, and when it rose, he has come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all the drew, Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chiefs, priests, and scrap of people, he incurred of them. Where the Christ was to be born, they told him in Bethlehem and Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are. Sorry, lost it. Uh, uh, land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who has who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned up the wise men secretly and described them from them that this time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come to worship him. After listening to the kings, to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had been had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense sense, and mirror and being born to the dream, dream not to return to the to here, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen.
0: Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this narrative of worship around your coming into this world as a baby, as a small child. God, we pray that we would hear your voice today. We pray that your spirit would speak to us, Lord God, that you would change us, that you would transform us, Lord God. Lord, may we, like the wise men, come here to worship you, Lord God. Let that be the purpose and focus and vision of our life, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this message is, We Have Come to Worship You, just as the wise men have, as the wise men uh, came to worship. We have come to worship him Jesus Christ and I want to take a look I just want to walk through this narrative with you this morning um, and talk about it for a little bit. So we see that this is the visit of the wise men. They're called the magi in some versions. Um, later on in, in church tradition, they became known as the kings. And many of you will know that we celebrate Three Kings Day in January. Uh, many people celebrate that. Now it doesn't say in the narrative that there was exactly three. Uh, we assume that there's three because there was three gifts. So because you got three gifts and you got three props when you do this, you know, as a play, then you need three people carrying that. So there was three people, that you know, the three kings, they were call but the magi were indeed wise men the magi is where we get the word magician from uh, they probably weren't kings or uh, rulers themselves but probably people uh, who attended to the kings and the rulers and is this scratchy for some reason oh you know what it came apart hallelujah praise the lord something came off here my fault no that doesn't look good hang on a second that looked worse than i thought oh boy it's one of those mornings, praise the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah, I'm telling you. All right, hallelujah. You know what? I'm going to go to another mic. This yeah. one's Hallelujah. Look, there's old one old right school. here. We're going to go old school, all we right? will break it down. All right, here we go. Bye-bye. Well, somebody left the coffee. I'm going to kick that. I'm telling you, watch out. If you're in the front row, it's like you're a SeaWorld. You should put something on. Something's going to happen. <laughs> I'm telling you, all right? So the Magi is where we get the word magician from, Right? So these were people, as we know, that studied the sky, they studied the stars. Um, There probably was a mixture of astrology and astronomy. They were scientists, but they were also involved in the religion of their culture, which was very different from the religion we worship. It's what we might call a pagan religion. It's a religion, uh, they also were uh, studying wisdom. The the words of the prophets were familiar to them. The words of the Hebrew scriptures were known beyond the borders of Israel. And so these people were coming and, and they had all different kinds of knowledge and they were looking at the stars and they were seeing something in the stars that told them that something amazing was about to happen. And so what I want to begin in this narrative by is talking about how does God reveal himself? What does it look like when God reveals himself? And so I want to begin right here by noticing the people that came to worship Jesus, that came to worship him. Now we know from the other gospel Luke that the shepherds came as well, right? So there were some shepherds that were there. But when the wise men came, you know, they represented the political and religious leadership of another culture, of another place, of another people, of people that were different than those who were expecting Jesus, the Messiah, to come. This is a replica of the gate of Ishtar in Babylon these people and it wasn't just the three that came or just the wise men they probably had attendants and all kinds of people with them, it was a whole caravan that came and they probably came from this area where you would see things like this in Babylon or Persia which is modern day Iran and Iraq and certainly this was several hundred years before the prophet Muhammad so they were not Muslim in that sense but they were probably Arab were the precursors to the Arabs, they were from a different culture, from a different language from a different religion and yet God revealed himself to them God revealed himself to them. You see, Matthew has an agenda. Matthew is not just writing nice words that he's thinking, oh, 2,000 years from now, people are going to make Christmas cards out of my words. People are going to write songs out of my words. He's writing with an agenda, and he wants to tell his people, the Jews, that Jesus, yes, is the king of the Jews. He is the one that was promised, that has come. But I got something else to tell you. He's also the king of the whole world. He is the king of everyone. He is not just the savior of Israel, which he is first and foremost, but he is also the savior of the entire world. So Matthew, early on, we talked about it, right? In his genealogy, in the family tree, he brought in Gentiles. He brought in Gentile women into the story in a radical way to say that Jesus is about to blow up some of your ideas and some of your preconceptions about how God works, okay? And so early on in the narrative, early on, he doesn't mention the shepherds. He doesn't mention all the stuff Luke does he said I've got an agenda I want to say people from far away came to worship Jesus when the people right there that should have seen him missed him and is God revealing himself to every culture to every person today yes he is and that's what we we need to think about this morning because we tend to think it's all about us and our peoples and our culture right and we, we tend to forget that God is revealing himself because we become so there's so much animosity right There's so much enmity between peoples right now. There's so much like we're putting down people from other countries, we're putting down people from other religions, and yes, we have disagreements, and that doesn't mean that we all believe the same things, but we only have one option when it comes to being Christians, when it comes to everybody else. We should pray for them, we should love them, and we should serve them. That's what the Bible teaches us because God is revealing himself to other people. Have you thought about that this morning? Have you thought about because all we think about is, well, can I say Merry Christmas or do I have to say Happy Holidays and we've got Hanukkah going on and Happy Kwanzaa and we get all twisted up and tied up in that when the point is that God is revealing himself to Jews and God is revealing himself to Muslims and God is revealing himself to people all over the world today because God is revealing himself to those who are far away, who are seeking God, who are seeking truth and God is revealed. Uniquely in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is being revealed to people from different religions. And Jesus Christ is being revealed to people from other cultures. And Jesus Christ is being revealed to people that are seeking Him. And the wise men were seeking, they were searching, they were looking in the skies for things that would tell them of what God was doing, things that would tell them of what God is going on. So the first thing I want us to remember this morning is that God is revealing himself in Jesus Christ to people all over the world, every nation, right? You know what I'm talking about, every tongue, every tribe, every single person, God is revealing himself to those who seek him. Um, the second thing I wanted to look at, you know, is just the idea of the star, the Star of Bethlehem, we call it, right? And we see that God reveals Himself through the heavens. Now, there's a couple of different ideas about to what this star was, right? Now, we know it is entirely possible that God, being God, could create something you know, out of nothing, right? This supernatural star that appeared and that showed and that that's what they saw and they're like, this is just some supernatural act of God. But there's another interesting theory that I think has a lot of merit that is also a possibility, and that is astronomers from that day prior to the time, just a few years before Jesus was born, they noticed an event that happened in the sky. And if any of you have been to a planetarium, anybody love to go. To, I love to go to planetariums as kids. Sometimes you'd see that show where they talk about this. So what happened, about 6 or 7 BC, alright, is that two planets aligned, Jupiter and Saturn, and they lined up with the constellation uh, Pisces, or Pisces, I don't know how to say that. Pisces? Pisces. Thank I, you, sir. Pisces. So they lined up all three together, and would have created a very bright star. Now, here's what's interesting. They also assigned, you know, certain stars, certain constellations, certain planets. They represented certain things in that time and in that day. And catch this, Jupiter, you know what it represented? The primary deity. So Jupiter represented the primary deity of the culture, which for the Hebrews was God, which was Yahweh. So the primary deity, or in other words, God, is coming together with Saturn. And Saturn represented the Jews. Okay? And Pisces represented Palestine. So if they were just reading the sky when that happened, they would have said, God is doing something among the Jews in Palestine that we haven't seen before. Amen. You see how God reveals himself through what he has created? We know this is true. The Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God. The Psalms say that they speak forth the knowledge about God. The book of Romans says that we can see the attributes of God from what he has created. That God's invisible qualities can be seen through his creation. Amen. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can see God. God is revealed through what he has made. So that what we can't see about God can be revealed through what he has created so that we can see it. So God is revealing himself through his creation and God is revealing himself to the entire world. And we see in this instance that these wise men and whoever traveled with them, they came, they traveled a distance, probably took them seven or eight months to get there. You'll notice that it says that they came and visited Jesus where? Where did they visit Jesus? In his house. So it's nice to put the wise men with the shepherds in the nativity scene, right? But they didn't come at the same time. They came about a year and a half later, between a year and a year and a half. So Jesus is a little toddler, right? Jesus is, is probably like you, sitting there on the lap, right? Jesus is about that size, right? And they come to the house to worship him because it took them a while to get there, okay? And the point I want us to reflect upon is to think about this. What are we seeking, right? What are you looking for this morning? What are you seeking in your life? Because I see that those who are seeking God, those who are seeking purpose and meaning in life, those who are seeking truth, they will find it. And I believe and I stand here and proclaim every Sunday that God is revealed through Jesus Christ. Now by coming to glorify Jesus Christ, which is our mission statement, that we come to recognize that Jesus Christ is God, believing in his power and his presence, right? And that Jesus Christ, as we've talked about, is the wisdom of God. We talked about that this fall. If you're seeking wisdom, seek Jesus Christ. If you're seeking life, seek Jesus Christ. If you're seeking healing, seek Jesus Christ. But what are you looking for? What is the purpose of your life? What are you seeking this morning? Because it's easy to give an answer, but what's really in our heart? What are we truly seeking? Matthew goes on to record the words of Jesus when he began teaching. He said, listen, if you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given to you. If you knock on the door, it will be opened. But how many of us live our Christian lives and we don't believe it? Well, God's not opening any doors. I'm not finding anything. I'm asking for things that I'm not getting in. Where is your faith? Where is it in your heart? Jesus has said it. It is true. How long did it take them to get to Jesus? Seven or eight months. See, we want to pray and have it happen like that, don't we? How long were they looking at the skies before that event happened that revealed it to them? I don't even know, right? How long did it take them to get back to where they were going and to begin to live out what they would experienced in their hearts, right? And we just say, well, God doesn't answer my prayers because I prayed and it didn't happen like that. Listen, listen, listen. God is speaking to you. Keep your eyes open. God is revealing himself. There are stars in your life all around. There are signs of God that we aren't even aware of yet. The kids right now in seedlings. they're studying the same lesson. You know what they're learning about this morning? They're learning that as the star appeared to guide them, now it's the Holy Spirit that guides us. And the little kids are being taught, amen, to look for signs of the spirit. Where is God at work? Where is God at work? Where is God showing up in your life? Where do you see him? Are you looking? Yes. I've told you this before. This is just my belief, okay? It's just the way I look at it. God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, right? And I used to think that just one day that bush lit on fire, right? But I've come to believe that that bush was burning for a while. Because that's how it is in my life. And every day Moses walked by it and he didn't see it. But one day he took time to stop and see a bush that had been burning for a while and thought, huh, that's interesting. Let me go check that out. God's been working in each and every one of your lives for a while. Come on. And you've just been too busy. You've been too busy up to this point. That's all right. You've been too busy. It's all right just stop, stop for a minute and see what God is doing in your life where do you see love, where do you see God's light? where do you see God at work whatever you see drawn to that, move towards that move towards that, it may take you a while, it may take you some time but move towards what you see God doing in your life and again it's God revealing himself through the Holy Spirit let's continue on in the narrative this morning so they come to Jerusalem where the star guided them and they go to King Herod now King Herod was the king of the Jews but he he ruled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire controlled the land. They set up their rulers in each area. And so King Herod called himself the King of the Jews, but he was really under the Emperor, okay, of Rome. So that's what gave him his security, his power, his position, all of that. But these wise men, they come from the opposite direction. They come from the east, alright? So they're coming from the east into Jerusalem. They're not part of the Roman Empire, alright? So they're coming in, and they're coming to Herod, and they're coming to Herod, and they're saying, look, we have come to worship the King of the Jews. Where is he? And you can imagine what's going through Herod's mind, right? He's like, Uh, I thought I was the king of the Jews, right? You're coming to find the king of the Jews. They're like, no, no, no. We saw this star, And you notice how Herod believes them, right? He believes them. He understands that. He calls together his magi. He calls together his wise men, right? And those were the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So you got all kinds of these magi, these wise men gathering. Now you got the ones from the east, you got the ones from Jerusalem, and they're all getting together and they're talking about this. When did it happen? How did it happen? What are we talking about? He tells his wise men, "Look through the prophets. Tell me about this. Where is this child? Where is this child supposed to be born? Where is the King of the Jews coming from? Where is the Messiah? We talked about the Messiah, right? The Anointed One, the one who was the heir of King David, the one who was going to come and sit on King David's throne. Where is he going to be born?" And they looked through their prophets, they said, oh, and the prophet Micah, he says it in Bethlehem in Judea, just as angel read for us. That's where the Messiah is going to be born. That's where he's coming from. This is the location. And just a side note, many of you know this, but maybe some of you don't. Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy of the Messiah that was written. Over 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Several years ago, a mathematician sat down and said, let me try to just explain what the probability is if Jesus fulfilled only eight prophecies. For one person to fulfill eight prophecies, one of which, that he would be born in Bethlehem in Judea, the odds are one in one hundred quadrillion. That's a lot of zeros. He said, let me give you a visual. Take the entire state of Texas, cover it in silver coins knee deep, mark one of them and toss it into the state of Texas. And then blindfold someone and drop them randomly in the state of Texas and they randomly pick up one quarter and the chances that they would pick up the quarter that has the mark on it is the same as Jesus fulfilling eight of the prophecies and he fulfilled over 300 of the prophecies that's why we believe jesus is the messiah that's why we believe he is the son of god that's why we believe he is the only one so they're looking for the prophecies they're trying to align these things and figure out where is jesus born but you notice when the word comes when king herod heard this he was disturbed and all jerusalem with him you see jesus was a threat amen Jesus was a threat. He was a threat because all Jerusalem means the religious and the political power of the day. You see, he was a threat because here you got people, you know, leaders coming from the east. Herod was all set on the west. I got Rome. As long as I do what I'm supposed to do, Rome's got my back. But now I've got people coming from the east and they're trying to disrupt this nice little thing I got going on here. They're trying to disrupt my power. They're trying to disrupt this little thing I got going. And know that King Herod and all the King Herods at that time, they were corrupt. They were oppressive. They were about money and power. They were not a good government. They were not about helping the people. And the religious leaders were corrupt. And here you have this threat. And Jesus Christ is a threat. We forget that. We get confused. We think he comes in as a baby at Christmas. Oh, look at him. He's so cute. He's Jesus, all meek and mild. But when Jesus comes and his announcement is coming, the people there view Jesus a little more like this than maybe we do today. He was a revolutionary. He was a disruptor. He was a disturber of the peace. I like that, right? Meek and mild as if. Discover the real Jesus, right? It was not meek and mild to Herod. Because Herod was so upset, we didn't read that text this morning, but he ordered the killing of all of the male children two years and younger. Many young kids lost their lives at the first Christmas because Jesus was a threat. And Jesus is a threat to governments, to political systems, even to religion and to religious leaders, even to the church Jesus is a threat because he comes to bring something new. I want to go back to that slide for a minute if I can. Hang on. Just let me go back here. This is from Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9 a little bit this morning as well. Verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. Right? That's what the star represented. The star represented Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ represents the light that shines in the world, especially on those living in darkness. Okay, but the problem is when people are living in darkness, the light threatens them, right? People don't like the light when they're living in darkness. They don't like the truth when they're trying to live their lie. Do you know what I'm talking about? People don't like the truth when they're trying to live their lie. And so don't worry when people get upset with you. Don't worry when people come against you because if you're speaking the truth, they're just coming against you because they don't want their lie exposed. They don't wanna come out of the darkness into the light. But that's what Jesus did. And for a whole bunch of people, it was good news. But for other people, it wasn't so good news. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah goes on to say in Isaiah. He goes on to say in verse 4. He says that for as in Midian's defeat... You have been, you have you have shattered the yoke that burdened the people, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. He saved that when the Messiah comes, Israel will rejoice because they will be set free. And there will be no more oppression, and there will be an end to war. Amen,
1: Father.
0: That's why Jesus is a threat, because those who deal in oppression and those who deal in war and those who deal in evil, they they are the ones who are threatened by Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, there will be an end to all of that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you know that there will be an end? How many of you know that Jesus signals the beginning of the end and though it may seem like it's taking a long time, rest assured that Jesus' kingdom has come and that it is being worked out. And that we need to understand that when, when we participate in his kingdom, what we do is we participate in the end to oppression, in the end to injustice. In the end, to all of the things that are not of God. For the next verse in Isaiah is one we all know so well. For unto us a child is born. He said, in other words, to end this oppression, to end this war, to end foreign occupation for the nation of Israel. This is how I'm going to do it, God says. I'm going to give you a child. Unto us a son is given. I'm going to give you my son. And catch this, the government will be on his shoulder. What government? The government, any government, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's Jerusalem, whether it's the government of Iran or Iraq where the wise men came from, whether it's the government of the United States or the government of any other country, Jesus Christ has all of the government on his shoulder because he is the king of kings and he is above all governments. And yet, political people are threatened by Jesus. Religious people are threatened by Jesus. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Don't you love that? Here you are in a room with all of these counselors, the Magi from the East, all of Herod's people, all of these wise counselors have gathered. And what they're looking at is the one who's coming that is the Wonderful Counselor. He is the Everlasting Father, meaning that he is one with God. And again, to my point that I'm developing here, he is the Prince of Peace. He brings peace to the earth. Amen. And then it continues on of the greatness of his government and his peace, right? We're talking about something that's not in this world. We're not talking about our government. We're not talking about peace treaties that we make. We're talking about of Jesus Christ, of his government, and of his peace, there will be no end. He will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, sing it with me. Forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Right? That's what we sing at Christmas. That's what we sing at Christmas. This is not just something that we play at. This is something that has eternal significance for the entire history of the world. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? Justice and righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I I grew up in a tradition where we always want to talk about forgiveness is from Jesus alone. Salvation is from Jesus alone. Healing is from Jesus alone. Restoration is from Jesus alone. And yet somehow as a Christian, in my pursuit of justice and righteousness in this world, I've forgotten that Jesus Christ has a justice and a righteousness that belong to him alone. And my only hope for this world is Jesus Christ. I'm just here to tell you. It doesn't mean I, doesn't, nobody stop what you're doing. If you believe in it, you would work even harder if you're someone who's working for justice in whatever job or role you're in, you don't stop because Jesus is the only hope. You work harder. You work more because you have the power of Jesus behind you. You have the power of God. You have the hope to carry on when it feels like nothing's happening, nothing's changing. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God is revealing himself to people all over the world every culture, every people group, every religion, revealing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the anointed. And he's been revealing himself through his creation since the beginning of time so that no one has an excuse. We can see what God looks like from what he has created. And when Jesus comes, he's a threat to those who have power and position and privilege. Think about who Jesus came to, Right? He came to people that were normally marginalized or oppressed or outcast. He honored women. He welcomed the children. He touched and visited the sick. He spent time with the oppressed. He said, visit those who are incarcerated. Visit those who don't have, you know, as much. Just hang out with the poor. Hang out with the needy. To those people, it was good news. Because nothing in that world honored them or protected them or cared for them. But Jesus came and said, I'm for you. But he said, not only that, I'm also for the men. And I'm also for the adults. And I'm also for the ones who are well and the ones who are in power and the ones who are in privilege. Jesus is still their savior. He's still their hope. But Jesus Christ constitutes a threat to those who hold power. I'm telling you, some of you, I can feel it. Some of you, this is starting to sink in. You understand what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ is a threat to politicians. And I'm not just talking about politics in our country. I'll turn the light on myself. Jesus is a threat to ministers of the gospel. Amen. If we're more concerned about our power and our positions than we are about worshiping Come Jesus on, Christ. Jesus.
1: That's
0: right. Amen. So what does Herod do? What does Herod do? Amen. Well, we, well, we see in this that Herod, Herod pretends that he wants to worship, right? So he says, okay, I want you guys to go down to Bethlehem, find out where this, this you know, King of the Jews is, the Messiah, and then come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship him. Yes. So that I too can go and worship him. He acts like he's going to worship. And that really struck me as I, as I prepared for this message because I thought there are people who pretend to worship God. There are people who act like they want to worship God. There are people who will even come to church, but what reason are they coming, Right. We have all kinds of people who will say amen and hallelujah, but do they have, if I can coin this phrase, a spirit of Herod? Is there a spirit of Herod in our churches of people who say they want to worship God, but they got something else going on in their heart? People who say they want to worship Jesus Christ. But is there a spirit of Herod? Is there something else going on? Is there another agenda? You know, the prophet Isaiah talked about this as well. He said, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Oh, my God. How many churches does that apply to? Even us. Even us. God, search our hearts. Man, is this just lip service? That's where we get that phrase from, right? Is it just lip service? Do we honor you with our mouth but our hearts are far from you? Do you come here and praise Jesus and raise your hand and get all your praise on? And in your heart, you walk out of here and you're hating people. And you're living in sin. And you're living in disobedience. And you're participating in the oppression of other people. And you're participating in the injustice of this world. Oh my God, let us not have the spirit of Herod. Let us not have this spirit where we just with our mouths we act like we want to worship God. But in our hearts we don't really worship God, right? That's what I'm praying for this morning. That's what I pray for myself. I I, I get fired up sometimes. I preach boldly. I hope that it inspires you. But no, from the bottom of my heart I preach to myself. I know that all of this has to happen to me. Because in my heart, there's all kinds of things going on. And I want God to just come into my heart. You guys know, we started this church because I wanted to be different. But not just different to be cool, but to be different in a way that we can worship God. In a place where the people that come from other cultures, where the magi come. And I'm going to call you magi. A bunch of you are some wise men and women here this morning, right? Where badge I can come in and say, you know, instead of feeling out of place because I'm from a different culture or a different background, I feel like I have a place here. Because it's around Jesus Christ, He's the center around you. That's what's amazing. Jesus Christ came into the world, and it's like the center of everything, right? We mark our calendars by it. The center of all history. The center of all religious thought. The center of everything revolves around Jesus Christ. He becomes the point on which everything spins, and we realize that even the Bible says he was the word that was in the beginning, and when he spoke, he spoke it into existence, And when he came, he initiated God's kingdom here on earth that's continuing to swirl and to grow and to expand until he comes again. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. It's all about Jesus Christ from beginning to middle to end and what he is doing in this world and in our lives. So what does true worship look like? Let's talk about that as we wrap up this morning. So Herod represents what? what true worship isn't. You know? <laughs> he represents that acting like you're going to worship but not really in your heart, you're not there. What does true worship look like? Well, I think that we look at it from the wise men, how they came and how they worship, right? So let's take a look at that as we close this morning. Let's look at three things they did that, that exemplify what true worship is about, okay? First of all, it says that when they came to the place where the star led them, when they came to the house, when they knocked on the door and they saw the baby Jesus and they saw his mother Mary, it says that they were overjoyed. That they were filled with exceedingly great joy. And the first thing we need to know is that true worship involves joy. Amen? Yes. True, that's why when you come to Hartford City Church, we will clap. We will praise. We will sing. We will dance. Because joy fills our heart. Amen? There must be joy in it. And joy is not the absence of sorrow. Joy is not the absence of pain. Joy is not even the absence of anger. Because those things are real. And those things exist in our lives, sometimes in abundance. Let me speak to you a word of encouragement this morning. Do you have a lot of pain in your life right now?
1: Yes.
0: Is there a lot of sadness in your life right now? Is there a lot of anger welling up in you? In your life right now? Know that what joy is. Is joy is not the absence of that. Joy is not the denial of that. But rather joy is something that comes and sits in the middle of it. And says you know what? All of this is going on but God. I still have God in my life. I still believe in what God is going to do. And though it may take a while, though it may take a while, this is how Christians have said it, since Jesus Christ came, though my sorrow may last for the night, I know that joy comes in the morning, amen? I know it, and though the night seems long, I know that it's often darkest right before the dawn. I know that when the night changes today, it changes at midnight, right? And when midnight happens, that's in the middle of the night. We don't see the light yet, but we know it's changed. One day is gone. The new day has come. Even though it's still dark, we know it's come because the clock has struck midnight. And we know that eventually, because it struck midnight, that in the wee hours of the morning, that sun will rise and that dawn will come. And that's how God works in our life. He says, I will change it even in the middle of the night. Because the morning is coming. And you will see it coming. And you will know a light has shined in the darkness. A light has dawned, the prophet Isaiah said. And people living in darkness have seen it, they've seen it. It does become visible. Whew. You know where I think some people are stuck? They're stuck at 3 a.m., they're stuck at 3 a.m., right? And at 3 a.m., they said, well, I prayed three hours ago that things would change, right? And God told me there was a change. And God told me he would make all things new. But I don't see it yet because it's 3 a.m. So therefore, God must not be real. God didn't hear my prayer. I'm not going to follow God anymore because that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. You know why? Because it's still 3 a.m. You haven't held on long enough to get to 5 a.m. Or to 6 a.m. Or whenever that sun comes up. Because I don't know. You know me. I I sleep through those hours. (laughs) Somebody told me those hours exist. But I sleep right through them. Praise the Lord. Sun wakes up for me about 8, 9. If it's 10, it's a good day. Hallelujah. (laughs) But for too many people, it's 3 a.m. And they're stuck. Not believing in God. Not trusting in God. Not thinking anything is going to happen. You know what time it is right now in our country? It's 2 a.m. And people are stuck. It's dark. There's all this stuff going on. There's all this killing. There's all this oppression. There's all this injustice. And I say, Yes, you're right. It's two AM and it's dark. But Jesus promised me that the light is coming. <laughs> yeah, Jesus promised me that the Son, the Son of God, is gonna rise with healing in his hands. Hallelujah. I know. I know it. And so we come together to worship him, amen? We come together to, to hold each other's hand. Let's do that. Let's hold each other's hands because it is scary. It is scary. Let's hold each other's hands and say, you know what? Let's pray. Let's pray for the dawn to come. Let's pray for the light to come. You notice they bowed down before him, right? They bowed down before him. And at this point, I think it's interesting to know who was there, Mary and Joseph, right? But you notice they focused on Jesus. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship Joseph. They focused on Jesus. All of a sudden, when they worshiped the child, Jesus was the whole center and focus of their attention. And they bowed down. You know why they bowed down? Because that's what you do to show your obedience and respect and honor to the king, right? And so if we're going to worship God, we need to bow our knee. And I'm not talking about just coming and doing it in church. I'm talking about submitting to the will of God in every area of our lives to bow our knee every morning and to realize that God is God and we need to follow what he says. We need to bow our knees to God. That's how we worship God. Amen. So we worship God with joy in our hearts. We worship God when we bow down and obey him. And finally, the point that we all know, the point we've all been waiting for, they brought the gifts, right? They brought the gold. They brought the frankincense. They brought the myrrh. They brought their gifts to Jesus. And not just any gift. They brought the best. They brought out of their treasure. They brought out of their wealth. They brought the best of what they had to worship God. Right? And that is true worship as well. When we bring our best, not our leftovers, not our extra, but when we bring our best. And what am I talking about? You're like, oh, there he goes. The pastor's talking about money now, right? We got to bring our best to God. Yes, I am. Because that's our treasure, right? We should bring our best to God. And I've told you this before. For some of you, that's a little amount. For some of you, that's bigger. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Bring your best to God. Bring your treasure to God. Give to God as much as you can. For when you give to this church, know that you're giving to God. By the grace of God, that's what we believe. That we are serving God, doing His work. That we should give God our best. When we give to help those in need, we should give generously. When we give to the church, we should give generously. We should give our best to God. But it's not just money. If we stop there, we wouldn't be going far enough. Give Him the best of your talents. You guys are so talented. You guys are all have amazing talents. I know it. I know so many of you. Are you giving that to God? Are you bringing the talent of your gold, of your treasure, of your gift, of your abilities to God? Are you letting God use the best of you? Are you giving God your time? We give God, right, our talents, our treasure, and our time. We give God Do you give God the best of your time? Or is it like, well... If I have any time left over, I'll read the Bible. If i got a few minutes left over, I'll pray. Oh, I'm so busy, God. I'm so busy. Oh, God knows how busy you are. Jesus said, my father is always at work. He never sleeps. God is busy. God is working all the time. Even when we can't. But even God himself stopped and he rested on the seventh day, right? And he said, there's a time when you need to stop. When you need to stop what you're doing. And you need to spend an entire day honoring and recognizing God. That's true worship. That's giving God of your time. Giving God of our talents. They brought the best of what they had to worship God. And they knelt down before Jesus. Even though he was still a child. And they were filled with joy. Even though the world was still a dark and dangerous place. And then a little footnote. God told them in a dream. By the way, don't go back to Herod. (laughs) Just take take the other route. (laughs) On your Google Maps, select the alternate route. (laughs) You know, it might take a little longer, but you don't want to go that way. There's some things on the road that you don't want to see. And and God told them to return to their country by another route. Amen. So this morning, we come to worship God. Right? And in light of this message, in light of what I see in in this story of worship, Is how can we give God our best? Well, what can we give God? Well, what can we bring Jesus? What what gift can we bring that he doesn't have? You see, at that time when he was a baby and his parents were going to have to leave because of what King Herod was going to do. They were going to have to flee down to Egypt and become refugees. So remember this Christmas that the Savior you worship was a refugee. And you know what helped fund them during that time? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Hallelujah. You ever thought about that? At that time, for that place and that purpose, that's what he needed. But what does Jesus need today? Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. Jesus' Holy Spirit fills us and moves all around the earth. What can we give Jesus today? What can we give Jesus? Yeah, we could give him our faith. We could give him our heart. We could give him our lives. And our spirit. Amen. Obedience. Obedience because the Bible says... In the book of Romans, therefore, in view of all of God's mercy, offer your bodies, yourselves, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. When you offer yourselves, your heart, your faith, your spirit, your obedience, your mind, your body, you offer it all to God. What can you bring to Jesus this morning? Take out your stars. Take out a pen. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to write your name on that star as a reminder that your act of worship is giving yourself to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to do it right now in this moment, then write your name on that star. Write your name on that star and say, I give my life to Jesus. As a reminder that we also have come to worship. And what can we give Jesus? We can give him our heart. What can we give Jesus? We can give him our lives. And hopefully there's enough stars for everyone. If there's not, you can share it with a friend and you can write one name on each side. But I just want you to write that down. And I want you to pray in this moment about giving your life to Jesus. I call this at Christmas the greatest gift exchange you'll ever do. Because the gift we exchange, we give Jesus our life and he gives us his life. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus Christ in this moment. I pray that you would receive our lives as an act of worship and a gift to you.